This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading is from Malachi chapter 3 and from Luke chapter 3, starting with Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eturia and Draconitus, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas, Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I woke up this morning to snow. Did you catch that? Isn't it something? And I, I'm glad it snowed because the, the rumor has it uh, that in the Seattle area where I come from and where my boys are currently living, they're expecting snow down there. So it would have been really humiliating for me to say, oh, no, we don't have any snow. It's cold as can be, but it hasn't snowed. Anyway, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like a dog when it comes to snow that goes out and, you know, fools around the snow, so I'm going to do that later, maybe, if I don't get lost in the snowbank. But um, could you pull out for a second your worship guide and turn to the inside, to the center panel, to the very bottom? I just want to uh, point out an opportunity for you to, um, to bless somebody this Christmas. I, I had a meeting with Pastor Dan Gerald, the lead pastor of Change Point Church last week. He and I just kind of got to know each other a little bit, and, you know, that's what pastors do. They they, they hang out together for, you know, no apparent reason, but we do. And he, he is on the board of the Alaska Christian College, and he asked me if I would come back to this church and, 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 and ask you to participate in an opportunity to uh, prepare a, a care package for some of the staff of Alaska Christian College. You know, it's really easy. We, we support Alaska Christian College to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars in our mission budget at the church, but, and that's good, and, we, and I'm delighted that we do that, but that's not very personal. And what uh, Pastor Gerald has asked me to do is to ask you, if you would be willing, somebody, we need about five or six uh, families, to adopt a member of the staff of Alaska Christian College and prepare kind of a Christmas care package 
that might include uh, some gifts for the the uh, children in the family and perhaps a, a, a plate of cookies, you know, maybe, I don't know, wh- whatever comes to mind. And uh, we don't need that many families to respond to this, but if you sense God sort of uh, tapping you on the shoulder right now to do that, that's the way you think you can participate in uh, somebody else's Christmas, would you mind either calling Sherry or sending Sherry here in our office an email, and she can give you the details of what the ages of the family members are and all that stuff. But we would we'd love to uh, be able to, to send these gifts to these folks and say, thank you for the good work you're doing at Alaska Christian College, and uh, we love you. That, that's what we want to say. So Anyway, thank you. The, the text that was read for us a moment ago from uh, the Gospel of Luke, is, it's, it's one, of those, one of those grand texts that you always... Uh, encounter, especially during this time leading up to Christmas, which we often in the church refer to as Advent. And maybe you're familiar with that term, maybe you're not, but that's what this time is that we find ourselves in. And, and in this text, you will note that there is a voice. There is a voice. And, and Christina Aguilera is not part of that, uh, that I'm aware of. But there is a voice that calls out from the wilderness. And the voice is saying this, listen to this, prepare the way of the Lord and make the path straight for Him. There's a voice that's crying out in the wilderness and it's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. But how do we do that? That, that, that seems to me to be kind of a natural question when you hear that um, Injunction from the scripture. How, how do we, how do we in 2012 prepare the way of the Lord? John the Baptist continues by saying this. Make straight the paths. Every valley will be made flat. In other words, it'll be filled in. Every mountain will be made low. In other words, it'll be flattened out. The, the crooked roads will be made straight. The potholes will be filled in. The frost heaves will be no more. Okay, I I added a couple things there, but you get the point. And then, John the Baptist says, then we will see the salvation of the Lord. There's a voice that's crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. So, what does this look like? You see, John the Baptist, the, the prophet, he, he was a hard-edged servant of the Lord who, who, who didn't pull any punches. You know, when he preached, when he spoke, when he proclaimed the Word of God back in, in those days, he didn't mess around. He knew what his role was, and he wasn't afraid to speak the truth directly to his audience without, without fear of retribution. He wasn't afraid of those things. This fearless prophet spoke the truth about God. And on one occasion he did it, and the result was that he found his head served up on a platter because his truth about God wasn't found favorable by Herod and his wife. But but that's a different story. There's a voice that cries out in the wilderness and says, prepare the way of the Lord. And the wilderness, this, this wilderness was really, if you think about it, the only place that could have contained 
this voice, this, this prophet named John. The, the wilderness was the only place from which God's truth echoed from the mountaintops and into the valleys. And it was this lone voice in the wilderness that called to the people with this hard truth called repentance. And the prophet John, the Baptist, proclaimed that if you want to, if you want to get on the straight and narrow with God, it always requires a change. It always requires a change of heart. John proclaimed, if you want to know how to prepare the way of the Lord, then you got to get a straight road out of a curved road. you got to be intentional about redirecting your life from the path that you're walking on to the path that God wants you to walk on. Now this this word repentance it's a you know it's a it's a $20 word that you hear in the Bible and in church you don't often hear it in our culture in fact I can't remember the last time I heard it in our culture and and the word is not as important to John as the fact that we understand what this word means which is it's a turning it's a turning that must take place in our lives in order for the kingdom of God to find its fulfillment in our lives. In short, if you want to see God's kingdom, John proclaims, this voice from the wilderness says, if you want to see God active and vital in your life, then you must go down this road of repentance. And repentance is hard. You know, I'll be the first to admit that. Just like making valleys flat and mountains low, it's not something that you you just sort of fall into without some intentionality, without without some effort. This turning is not about adding a another important practice to our already full list of responsibilities that we have to do uh, in order to follow Jesus. This is the only item on the list as far as the prophet John is concerned. Sometimes this, this turning, this, uh, this reorientation requires us to stop what we're doing and consciously do something else. I, I have that notorious disease that every man that I know has, which is when I'm lost, I don't like to stop for directions. Yeah, you're, you're mostly women are laughing now. I, I understand that. And, uh, and so I always think that, that there's a way, if I've gone off the road that I'm supposed to be on it, if there's a way to get back on it without stopping and turning around and backtracking, then I'm going to find it. And so last week, uh, we, we had been invited down into the Eaglewood neighborhood. Is that right? The Eaglewood neighborhood? Yeah. And uh, my wife was with me, and she said, now, do you know how to get to where we're going? I said, oh, yeah. I've been there before. Once. Once. And I said, no problem. I can find my way exactly to the house that we need to be at. And we drove around Eaglewood for a little over a half hour 
John, a voice cries from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The implications of this are life-changing for us, and it's life and death for John. The act of, of preparation always requires a new and renewed look at our lives. The closer look means looking under the hood, if you know what I mean. It means, it means not just sweeping around the carpet and around the furniture, not just vacuuming around the furniture, but it means moving the furniture. It means opening closets where we've stuffed junk for years. The closer look will reveal our shortcomings and our sin. Yes, it will. But don't be discouraged by what you find on that closer examination of your life. This is necessary as you and I prepare the way of the Lord. So says the prophet John. And, and this act of, of turning, this act of reorientation begins with a very simple act that the Bible refers to as confession. Confession simply means speaking the truth about ourselves so that we address the sin and the shortcomings that we all carry around like Linus carries around his security blanket. And if it was, if it was that easy to get rid of by just simply taking away the blanket, we, most of us would have done it, but it's much more subtle and complex than that. When we confess our shortcomings to God, it's not as if God isn't already aware of our sin. We know that. But when we confess our sins and shortcomings to God, we're showing God that we have the ability and the intention to set aside our self-delusions just long enough to be honest about the mess that we find ourselves in right now. The mess that we've got, our, that our lives are. You know, and we're not alone in this mess. That's, that's the good news, really. Lots of people live in these messes of their own making. In fact, messes of our own making, that's what sin is. But not everyone has the courage to be honest with God or themselves or with people around them about the reality of their own mess. So we spend our entire lives trying to conceal it, hide it, and keep it out of the public view so that everybody thinks that we don't have a mess. We, we prepare the way of the Lord by holding ourselves just as high of standards as we hold to those around us. That's how we do it. And, and when we find ourselves coming up short time and time again, and we will, instead of brushing it under the rug, we say, yep, God, I screwed up again. Yet my life is an absolute mess, and I can't seem to do anything about it. Yes, God, it's time for me to come clean once and for all. This is confession. This is how we prepare the way of the Lord. If there's no confession, there could be no transformation. You can't have one without the other. I like a quote by Henry Nouwen, who's a Catholic spiritual writer, that he that he makes about confession. He, he likens it to the game of hide-and-seek. This is what he says. He says, I am beginning now to see how radically the character of my spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God 
as hiding out and making it difficult as possible for me to find him. But instead, as one who is looking for me while I am doing the hiding. Confession is this decision to stop hiding. To come out and say, okay, God, you do something about the mess that I've made because I can't. Confession, as the, the first act of repentance then, is, is not only an honest assessment of, of our shortcomings and our sins, but confession is also a radical change of heart. If you think about the metaphor that the prophet is using in the text that we just read, the, John the Baptist, it's not just about a new coat of paint that you put on so you can sell your house faster. It's about bringing in heavy equipment and changing the contour of the environment. The valleys will be filled in. The mountains will be made low. To put it another way, it's not a quick splash of water in the face. It is a deep cleansing rub. And sometimes those hurt, by the way. I'm told. You see, wholehearted confession doesn't always result in, in turning away from our sin immediately. In, in my experience, at least, confession often leads to more confession, which leads to more confession. Wholehearted confession recognizes that, that it may take time for us to get beyond those little habits that we've created for ourselves, that we hang on to. Wholehearted confession recognizes that it may take time for those around us who we've hurt to learn to trust us again. Wholehearted confession is, is intent on making the road straight and the path clear of debris. But, but don't misunderstand me here. Honest confession requires on our part a willingness to change. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves. I was in eighth grade uh, Algebra one math class. My teacher was uh, Mr. Nixon. And it was really, it was in the Nixon era too, so, but it wasn't, they weren't related. Um, and this is, you're going to find this hard to believe about me, but I was a bit of a screw off in, in school. It's true. I, I, I was a people pleaser, so I knew how to, to make the teacher smile just at the right moment as they were thinking about giving me, uh, a, you know, a B minus or a C or a C minus or a D. So I was always able to kind of get it to that higher mark. I, I don't know how I did it. But in, in this math class, I didn't really like math, and I had a bunch of friends that were sitting around me. And so what, what we did most of the time while the teacher was teaching was kind of pass notes and poke each other. And, you know, my favorite thing was spit wads. I don't know if they do those anymore. But at any rate, and, and the teacher, Mr. Nixon, would look at me and he'd say, Brad, knock it off. Right in front of the whole, whole class. And I remember one time he said, Brad, I'm had, I've had enough. Just, just leave. And, I, and I'm, I'm terrified because what if this gets back to my parents? I mean, screwing off is one thing, but when your parents find out, that's a different thing. And so at the end of the class, the buzzer rang. He came out and he said, come, out, come in, I, I need to talk to you. And I, at this point, I'm a little nervous because I, I like to have fun only to the point that before I you know, go to prison. I, I don't want to do the, the prison thing. And he said, and, I, and before he said anything, he said, I said, Mr. Nixon, I'm really sorry. And he goes, 
don't tell me you're sorry unless you intend to change your behavior. A change of heart often leads us down a path of deep sorrow and sadness because we have to work hard at changing our behavior. This is necessary if we truly want to engage in the business of repentance, of changing, of turning, of, of, of reorienting our life. And you know what happens after a time of grief at, at the recognition of our sin? Wholehearted confession begins to to lead towards the joyful recognition that we don't have to keep on sinning. God has set us free from that. John the Baptist puts it like this, the crooked will be made straight and the rough will be made smooth. Things are changing. So this act of repentance that John the Baptist is is suggesting to us is one of the ways that we prepare the way of the Lord always leads to real life change. And after life change, it's followed by a change of direction. And this change of direction leads to concrete, tangible action. Our behavior actually begins to look different to people around us. This change of direction will shock and surprise those, of us, those who know us well. They will not be prepared for our gentle response when they're used to our angry outburst, Right? The ones that we've hurt have come to expect us to behave in a certain way, in a certain set of circumstances. And and, and they have even developed defenses so that our, our painful actions don't hurt quite as much. So when we actually begin to live differently, those around us need time to get used to this new reality. Don't be surprised if they're not used to it. But as we continue to live our lives of wholehearted confession, something strange and, and wonderful begins to take place in us. We actually begin to change. The sinner's heart in the hands of a loving God always leads to transformation and change. You see, that's what God does. That's what John the Baptist is talking about from the, vil, uh, from the wilderness, and that's the good news that I want you to leave here today with. Change is possible in your life. Now, perhaps there are some here this morning who, hearing all this talk about confession and and repentance, um, are ready to run right out the door right now. Because because I I have kind of pressed a little close to your your self-delusions, really. You've, you've been living your whole life uh, behind a curtain. And I've just revealed your scam in front of everybody else. Perhaps there are some here this morning who don't have any problem recognizing their sin. That's not a problem. It's so obvious. You know it well, and as much as you confess it to God, you still feel the weight. You still bend under the weight of your own guilt. You haven't been able to release that, that, that sin to God and actually experience the forgiveness that God wants to offer you in Jesus. I'm not telling you this is easy, folks. I'm not presenting you with another watered-down version of, of uh, happy, clappy Christianity. As I read and I understand this passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, I wish there were another route 
to wholehearted discipleship. I wish there was some place else I could land this plane, but there isn't. If we want to truly prepare for the coming of the Lord, friends, it all begins here. Repentance. There's no place left for us to hide. There's only the voice that calls to us from the wilderness. And this voice is not seeking to embarrass us. This voice is not trying to to humiliate us in front of our friends. This voice is the voice of a Savior who gently and humbly calls us to lead lives of humble confession because this is the only way to get to a wholehearted life in God's kingdom. So this leads me to my, to my last observation today. Once we've been down this road of, of wholehearted repentance, we, we, can't, we can't keep dragging our sins with us. You see, God, God is not arbitrary when it comes to offering us forgiveness. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't forgive certain sins and not others. It's all or nothing. But for many of us, we hang on to our sin because somehow we don't believe that we deserve to to live guilt-free. It doesn't feel right to us. If there's not a little guilt, then what's the point, right? The problem is, is that guilt never motivates us to change. It might motivate us to change for the moment, but over the long haul, it never motivates us to change for the long haul. And even though God has long forgot our sins, there we are hauling our bag of sins with us. We will never forget. And as hard as we try to live up to this wholehearted discipleship that that I'm describing today, we can't. Oh no, we hear the voice in our heads sneer at us. Not so fast. Someone has to pay for your transgressions, that voice says. Sure, sure, God may have forgiven you, and the people you have hurt may have forgiven you, but don't think you can slip out from under it that easy, that accusing voice says to us. There is another voice that calls to us. And if we're not careful, we won't hear it over this accusing voice that I've just described. This voice that calls from us, calls to us, calls to us from a cross. This voice is the voice of Jesus who cries out at the moment of his agony of pain. He says, it's finished. It's finished. Did you ever wonder what he was talking about when he said that? He was talking about us. He was proclaiming once and for all that by His act of obedience and suffering and death on the cross that He makes it possible for us to be forgiven and to forgive others without recourse. So this morning, here's the question I want to ask you. Which voice are you listening to? There is a voice that is calling from the wilderness. And that voice is John's. And then there's this other voice that is calling to us and accusing us and saying that we have to continue to carry the burden of our sin. And there is yet one more voice. And that's the voice of a Savior. The voice of a Savior who forgives and forgets 
so that we can live in faith and freedom without regret and without guilt and without remorse. There is a voice that calls to us from the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. There is a voice. There's a voice. It's hard for me to believe, God, that all of the sin and shame that I walked in here with this morning could possibly be left behind. Yeah, I've been going to church a long time, and I've heard many preachers preach about God's forgiveness and and grace and, and suffering love, but it's never really dawned on me that I didn't have to carry around my suitcase of sin. So today, as, as, as I leave this place, this week and this month, as I prepare the way of the Lord, as I prepare for the birth of, of Jesus, would you make it possible for me, God, to understand the nature and the extent to which you forgive me? Would you give me the courage to take an honest assessment of who I am and where I've been and where I'm going and do something about it? And then, oh God, enable me to celebrate with a kind of joy and celebration that I have never experienced before as we walk into this Christmas season. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.